0: Welcome to Ask the Masters podcast. On episode 48, we're joined by Oceanair's owner Ed Harper. Oceanair's has become the world leader in underwater speakers and sound systems. Today, Dave Penton sits down with Ed via webcast
1: and discusses the different types of underwater speakers. Welcome in. We got a different format today. So I am sitting in my office at Fluid Dynamics Pool and Spa here in Fullerton, California. And I've got Ed Harper sitting in his office in beautiful Ohio, uh, Columbus. Where are you at in Ohio?
0: Actually, actually, we're in north, just south of Cleveland. We're real close to Akron, Ohio. And our mailing address is North Canton, and everybody knows that as the home of the Football Hall of Fame, which I've never gone to. But (laughs) <laughs> That's what North Canton know okay. about is they, they've heard of that.
1: Okay, perfect. So... Um... We are on the Ask the Masters podcast today. Forgot to start with that, so uh, welcome in Ed today. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, underwater speakers, uh, kind of uh, just the, the the whole history. You've kind of been around in the the whole space of of underwater sound for a long time, and uh, you know I've heard a bunch of your stories, and they're really fun. And so I just wanted to to kind of visit um, you know your history with this technology and. and and all of that, and um, so uh, kind of start me off. Um, uh, underwater speakers, you know, there's a lot of people that hear underwater speakers, and they're like, "Really, that's just weird. How can you hear anything underwater?" So, um, but but the reality is, is that underwater speakers actually do work really really well. So, can you kind of explain the technology a little bit?
0: Yeah, I've been I've been doing speakers now for like twenty, a little over twenty five years. So, I started my business in nineteen. 19- 91 but I actually had the design prior to that. Actually it was the the basic concept came about when I was working for a company doing development stuff for the navy for anti-submarine warfare. And the speaker was, you know, the important part of it. And um, what they didn't realize was how good the design was and then I went and expanded on that years later and came up with, uh, with our products. So it's uh, there's Speakers have been around, oh, probably longer than me. I mean, there were people that that were doing it before I got into it. It's just that when I got into it, I I was very aggressive at, it. and one of the key things I was after is to offer a a, compa- a good product for a reasonable price. And it's like you say, a lot of people. Uh, didn't even know you could do underwater music. Everybody, you know, a lot of people I talk to think is isn't it garbled and bubbly sounding in the water. And in reality, it's, it's just like when you're sitting in your living room, it's actually in a lot of ways better because you don't have all the echoes reverberations that you'd get in an air environment.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, You know, you and I have worked on a couple of jobs together and just the, um, you know, we've done some pretty big pools and only needed a couple of speakers. So you don't right. really have to use a whole lot uh, to really get the effect. So it's really it, it's really interesting. I want to talk about that um, a little bit more down the road. But, um, you know, some of your stories about the, you know, working with the Navy SEALs and and working uh, with the Olympics. So uh, I'd love to kind of understand a little bit more, uh, you know, one of your um one of your key partners is the uh, U.S. Um, uh, USA Swimming and um, uh, the synchronized swimmers. Uh, and so, can you kind of explain a little bit about that and how you've
0: been involved in some of the Olympics and some of the fun stories you have there? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, uh, I got started at, when I started my business. Within four years, I had the uh, 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. And uh, I had a, this friend of mine knew of my products, and he got him into the pool. And and actually, it turned out while I was at the, I actually got to work at the qualifying event at, for synchronized swimming, uh, which was the year before the actual 1996 Olympics. And while there, uh, one of the really neat things was, as I got uh, to know the uh, at the time he was the president of the Russian Synchronized Swimming Federation. And uh, it was really an interesting thing is that Christmas after we had, uh, I, I met him there, he invited me to come to Moscow. So I'm over in in Russia and uh, the place I was staying at, I could look out my window at red square. So it was kind wow. of an awesome thing to do. And, um, for 10 years, I did all of the national championships for USA synchro. And, um, uh, but I, I'm not as involved in it. I still do stuff with synchronized swimming, but not like the first 10 years. That's what really grew the business because when I started it, I was going to do it for scuba diving. And if I had stayed with that market, I would have been out of business. It wow. turned out that the the girls that do the synchronized swimming, which now they're starting to call artistic swimming because it's not purely synchronized anymore. They're getting more into the artistic aspect of it. And uh, so I uh, that was a thing that grew the business. And I, I did some pretty interesting things like in uh, I, I did the 96 Olympics. I was in Beijing for the 2008 Olympic Games. And uh, I didn't do London. And uh, Greece in 2004 they used a a year, I think it was a European speaker. We had our speakers over there working with the Greek national team. And like I say, in 2012, we didn't do that. 2016, we were we did the uh, Brazil Olympic Games. So we've yep. been involved in three Olympic competitions. We've been in numerous world championships. And actually, it was a 2011, I think it was 2011, I actually got to be a um, an official with FINA for the World Championships in Shanghai, China. So I got to wear the official blue uniform, and uh, it, it was pretty awesome to to get a chance to do that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, uh you know, I, I'm friends with you on Facebook, and so I kind of watch your world travels and and. You know, the, your technology, I mean, it really just takes you around the world. And I'm always amazed to see, you know, where you are. It's like, you know, kind of a where's Waldo, Uh, you know, you're, you're always seem to be in some other place. So talk about that, uh, you you know. I mean,
0: mean, that is one thing I'll have to say with my, with my speakers, it has given me the opportunity to really see a lot of the world. And I mean a lot. I mean, I've been everywhere, everywhere from going over to the French Open and the German Open in Europe to I've been to Israel, uh, Russia, China, Singapore, Australia, Great Britain, Greece. I mean, a lot of different places, and a lot of it was synchronized swimming. So, I mean, I've always held a, you know, a, a strong working with them, even though I don't, do it as much like as I used to. I mean, we're we're still uh, doing it. The thing that we're getting into now, which I think it is has the potential of being even larger, as we're getting involved in competitive swim. And really? that, how so? Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're very we're starting to get into that because a lot of the competitive swim teams are looking at when you when, if you have to go in and you're a teenager and you have to go swim. Five thousand yards or six thousand yards, that gets kind of boring really fast if you 're in that pool and you 're swimming for hours, so if they can get in and play and have music to listen to as they 're swimming, it helps keep them from getting bored wow that's really you cool know? yeah i i I grew up playing water polo
1: here in Southern California, and you know I loved playing water polo, but part of the part of it was uh you had to swim uh in the off season you had to stay in shape and that was always the tedious part that really drove me crazy cuz water polo is exciting and everything and the oh, swimming yeah. is just very individual and and so yeah i i i didn't even realize that that technology would work uh, as you're actually doing swimming laps so that's oh, yeah.
0: that's really cool yeah we've got we we were just down at a uh, a swim meet in greenville south carolina where there <coughs> were a bunch of kids and uh, it's part of the y pro, YMCA programs. And the kids, when uh, they were actually able to do the music at the meet during practice session, you know, when they were just practicing, and all the kids just thought it was so cool to be able to get in there and listen to music because they were some of these kids, All of us just, you know, floored. And we're actually getting a lot of competitive teams where the actual swimmers will go out and fundraise, and they'll tell their coach. That's what we want. We want music in the water. And if you really think about it, what do you see in a lot of the young people today? they are all got those earbuds in your ears. You tie exactly. their port to their music, and you're going to keep them. They're not going to be as apt to drop out. And not only from the entertainment side of it, uh, you can actually use it from a training tool perspective. Yeah, that kind of, yeah,
1: that kind of morphs into kind of the next phase of the thing that I'm so fascinated by is, uh, you know, you got you use this uh, with divers uh, and the diver recall system and with the Navy and with all of that. So uh, that's always super fascinating, too. I mean, you kind of just touch on everything. Um, So uh, explain that a little bit more, how you can actually be communicating underwater to people.
0: Yeah, we've been in, see, originally when I started my business, it was going to be for scuba diving. And I said the synchro was a big thing. Now diving is becoming more and more, that's our. That's where we're really doing a lot in now, not only with the U.S. Navy, but for just uh, dive boats in general where people will go out. And one of the things that we're trying to strive in the diving community is to get them, everybody on board with, you take, you take a dive boat out and you put 20 divers in the water, and how do you get them up in an emergency situation? And that's where we have the diver recall systems that use our speakers. And so you can actually talk to a diver, or you can use recall tones to get them back to the surface. If there's a dive accident or, or, or not necessarily a dive accident, it could be just bad conditions if you're having a, a storm come in. You can get the people up and out of the water before it gets rough. And, but one of the really nice things about our speakers is the voice quality. I mean, we've had people uh, here talking underwater because if the, if the music is good, well, the thing is, you want to be able to talk to divers and have them understand it. And that's what we're finding out. And actually, this was back, it was on an episode of Y50. Uh, it was, it was season eight. It was either episode four or five. They used the same concept that we're do, doing in an episode of Hawaii five Oh, where Danny was on the boat talking to Steve McGarrett underwater using a speaker. And so it was pretty cool to see that. And the boat that was, they were doing it on, we actually Googled it and it's a real boat in Honolulu. And we actually sold them some equipment and stuff. And, uh, so we were actually out in Hawaii last year, in the hotel we stayed at, we could we actually could watch them filming an episode of Hawaii Five O. So it was pretty cool. But with the diving, not only um is it from the the recalls perspective, it's we're getting into a lot of the resorts. Uh, we're doing we're working on an order now with the Sandals Beach and Resorts down in the Caribbean, and they're all becoming very concerned about shark activity. And one of the issues is, is if you're taking tourists out on a boat and you decide, Hey, we've got a situation. We need to get people out of the water. How do you effectively get them out? So if you do see a shark and you want people out of the water, the, so I think that's why sandals is looking at, at that because there is a, a bigger concern about, uh, you know, shark attacks are up. And uh, people are a little bit well, look at the East Coast, all all the attacks that go on there. Sure. But uh like like with our speakers, one of the things that's that's uh is really cool is we've worked with a guy in South Australia, he's near Port Lincoln, and his business is that they take people out for shark dives. Wow. Go do shark cave dives, you know, uh, shark diving in cages. And, uh yes, it was like, I think it was in November of this year, last year. They had, uh, it wasn't publicized, it was only publicized a little bit, but not as much as we had liked. But they had a, uh, it's like a, a, a fundraiser for sharks. And what they did is they had a contest, and this was with Airbnb. And what they did is the winner of the contest got to go on this friend of mine's boat and, and you can actually sit like in a cup and you're underwater and you can see the sharks. Well, the cool part of the whole thing was they had kiss come down and do a concert for the sharks. Oh, wow. And so they had the, they had the guy, the people that won the contest in the, on one boat and then on the other boat, they had the kiss band and they were playing the music to the sharks Underwater through our speakers, wow! So it was pretty cool to to you know to hear that because uh, he's been using he uses actually it turns out and a lot of people are are floored by it but they found out that uh, great white sharks like heavy metal music.
1: Of course they do. That makes perfect sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, uh, they like ACDC and stuff like that. And uh, we were actually part of an episode of Shark Week and. 2015 it's called bride of jaws and that's where they were uh, uh doing and that's one of the places that i've got on my bucket list to go dive with him and he's got my yeah. speakers on it, so i need to get down there and do it myself
1: <laughs> exactly that sounds like so much fun um uh you know, you started in the whole dive world. I mean, that's really kind of what 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 launched your business. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about uh, you know what you can talk about about working with the Navy and and some of the some of those interesting stories that you can tell us about.
0: Oh yeah, we've uh, we've been very one of the things that we've been very involved with the Navy is we we make what's called a little diver signaling device. And if you think, of it, I can remember back when I was in college doing my. Works, I was on a co-op student down with the Navy in in Key West, and we had to go out one night on a, a mission to go re- rendezvous with the Navy salvage ship off the coast. And they were we have, we were on an LST, and they were what they were going to do is they were bringing up the wreckage from an F four that went into the that went into the ocean, crashed, and they were bringing it up and putting it on the salvage ship, and then they were transferring it to our boat. And one of the cool things was, is the Navy, all the Navy divers, what they did is when they, their recall devices, they, they would take an M80 firecracker with a nut on it and they would light the fuse and throw it over the side of the boat and it would go boom. And then the guys would know to come up. And so it's uh, that's where our diver signaling device comes in because it's a non-explosive way to recall scuba divers. And I've sold probably like, Over eight hundred of them to the military over the past ten years. When we've been doing it, and uh, and actually we worked with a a navy diver at the time, and he was he was looking at wanting to get some cheaper way, you know, some way to recall divers. And I was over at at a trade show at the Salon Nautique in Paris. And my, this guy, my agent over there, we were talking about it, and we came up with the concept of putting the electronics in the speaker and a lot of little things. And my uh, the, the master diver at the time, he said, he went to NAVC and said, I, I've got a mission, and I can't afford this other system that where, that's on the list. He says, I need something that I can buy. And he says, I'm going to buy this on this day whether it's approved or not, because he says, I've got seven dive stations I have to set up, and I can't afford this other stuff. And it turned out that my, the day he gave them was a drop-dead date. We were approved so the Navy could legally buy it. Wow. And uh, now we have one, We have our Patriot system, which has voice, and that system is phenomenal. Uh, we've been talking with the Navy about it for the past couple of years, because one of the things that uh, when we talked to Navy divers, they said, all the everybody has a lot of tone range, but says nobody has good voice range for talking to divers. And so I went to the people that build our the, the stuff that the, the actual electronics that we use, and I told them what I wanted. And they said, well, we, we, they, they says, well, we have to watch it because of, of feedback because of this one unit, because it has like a remote head. And if it was too close, you got into a feedback loop if you had an ear speaker. And I said, well, I don't have that issue. I said, my speaker's 30 feet underwater, so I says, I want my microphone as loud as I can. And they made up – they came up with the changes that we needed. And we went from like a couple hundred-foot range with a single speaker to like between an eight, eight to 900-foot range, wow. which underwater is a long ways. And then recently – We had, we built it, we built an array that's used in Homeland Security. And it's a three speaker array. And we had, we put it with the Patriot and we had some guys test it in the UK. And they came back after doing the testing and they said if the guys, if they skip breathe, where they sort of like hold their breath and then breathe and, and then listen, if they skip breathe, they could hear clean, audible voice at 1,100 meters. We're talking 3,000 feet voice. And they said under all conditions of breathing, they didn't have to be skip breathing. They could hear it at 800 meters, which is still, that's that's almost a half a mile. Wow. (laughs) That's a thing. And to be able to understand what is being said, and I said, well, most of the time, we don't need to talk to somebody that far. But the reason they want that is, and it all goes back to 9-11. There was a lot of chatter on the intelligence uh, community that Al-Qaeda, that the Al-Qaeda played people like that were training divers for hitting, going after targets in the water. Like, you know, it could be a nuclear power plant, or it could be a, a cruise ship, or it could be some kind of harbor. So when, we, when they developed the sonars, because they could detect swimmers at long ranges, And they could tell they were divers because they wanted to build a, if there were people coming in, he says, okay, we can detect them. But then they started saying, well, geez, we can detect the guy at 500 yards, but how do you talk to him? If he's a bad guy, he's not going to have a radio. You can't call him on a radio and say, hey, what are you doing out there? And they said, that's a big issue. And you don't want to, at the time, they could maybe talk to somebody 200 feet away. And what happened is they said, well, if a guy, if he is a bad guy and you're waiting till he's 200 feet away to talk to him and if he's carrying enough explosives, he could take you out on the shockwave. So they said, we want a longer range for more standoff. So they wanted to build it to have a point where if the guy crosses it, they can assume he's hostile and then they would go out there and basically Neutralizing that could mean lethal force or whatever it takes, but they wanted it, and there was a reason for it. Because remember, and you always have to give that—you uh, don't want to just kill him right off the bat. You have to warn them. Sure. And the reason they wanted it is they were they were afraid that well, it might be some sixteen-year-old in an area trying to get lobsters when he shouldn't be, and if you didn't get get a hold of him and you kill him. That makes front page news, you know, that somebody kills somebody like that. So they wanted to be able to give that longer standoff so they could say, okay, if you cross across this point, we're assuming you're hostile. And because if you're not, you would you would leave the area if you're told to. So that's where and we build like 120 arrays for Homeland Security. But it turned out that in reality, that, They'd never really materialized. They, you know, they were they were thinking it was going to be an issue, but it never did. They they didn't really have any actual people come in and try to take out a target. They were very concerned about it for a long time, and then it went by the pretty much. Uh, I guess there was more stuff done over in the Middle East than than here. And I guess that's all due to our our Homeland Security people doing their job and keeping that threat from really materializing like they were concerned about, but they did have the capability to build a talk to it. And we've actually worked with other companies like over in Europe, in the UK and in the Middle East that are using our race to do exactly that kind of thing on oil platforms over in in, in in, in the Middle East, where they're hanging them down under there to talk to potential people coming in on oil platforms. Cause that's the same, that is a high value target over there. So there's a very big concern. So they still use them over
1: there. Yeah. One of the things uh, you know, the common theme that we keep talking about is, is uh, you know, these, these units are in the ocean and, and, you know, the Navy's using them and, and these are real, you know, highly commercial type environments and and not environments where you're kind of being gentle with them. Uh, And so one of the things that I've always been impressed is that all of that technology, again, there's some tweaks in that, but but that technology um, really is is the same um, for the most part as what you're putting in a swimming pool. So uh, let's turn that corner a little bit and just talk a little bit about um, usage in swimming pools and and uh, kind of maybe some of the fun projects that you've done over the years, uh, you know, if you're allowed to talk about them uh, and just kind of how how the swimming pool environment works and and and, uh, you know, most of our listeners are builders and, and architects and designers. So uh, just just touch a little bit. Let's not get too deep in the weeds, but just touch a little bit on the technology and, and what is involved in um, uh, installing these in a pool and, and dispel some of the myths. Because it sounds like it could be crazy difficult, but in reality, it's really not all that difficult. No,
0: well, it's not. Well, actually, it's only been, I guess, the past, though. Ten years that we started doing we have a built-in speaker. Prior to that, everything we built, and what most people build are drop-in speakers, portable. And there are a few people, they will take their drop-in speaker and just put it in a niche and put it in a pool. Well, what I did uh, years ago, this guy on the West Coast called me up and says, hey, I want to put music in my pool. I want a built-in speaker. So he said, Well, what can you do for us? So I said, Okay, I took, at the time, it was the American products, you know, the, the very large, I guess like 10 inch pool light. And the very first things that we started building, we call it was a, what we call an SP7. And we took, I, I took the pool light, I took the glass lens out, and then I took the, uh, uh, light bulb out and I put a speaker module in place of the glass lens and then we plugged into the light socket and then used the same cable to go up to your amplifier and stuff and but after a while doing that I was getting I was starting to have a whole bunch of glass lenses and light bulbs because every every light I bought I didn't use those so I said I could have a little side business selling those 500 watt pool lights and uh, so I took uh, took that and I Begin to think. Well, geez, there's got to be something done different about this. And then that's when I got with my guy, and we sat down and actually we based the the design on that Pentair niche. And here's the here's the standard Pentair niche. That's the one that most people use. This was it used to be Pentair, and then now it, I mean it used to be American Products, and now it's Pentair. But it's very similar to the Hayward niche. So we took this niche. And with the pool light that went in it, I, we wanted to be essentially the stick out the same distance out from the pool wall as the speaker did and the same diameter. And what we did is this is the speaker that goes with that niche. And you can see it's only two inches thick. And this right here, the black surface, that's the actual radiating force the face that actually where the sound is created. And what we did with the design is we decided let's design it from the ground up to really be for built-in installation. So we actually have a place on the back. That's where your cable goes. You connect to your cable. That goes into your niche, up through your conduit, to your breakout box and so forth. And this installs the same way you would a pool light. There's the top screw, and then on the niche, this, is the, this would be the top. This is like for the one set screw, the screw that goes in. And then on the bottom, there are these two ears. And the pull light, part of it would go in between the ears. And then you would tighten the top screw. Well, when we put our speaker in there, we actually put a, a screw, and it's got a piece of PVC. And when you tighten it up, it pulls it in against the back. And so that pulls in the bottom of the speaker. And we still use the same top hole. To secure the top part.
1: Yeah, one now, of the before, things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we go any further, I want to keep uh, keep explaining it. But one of the things that um, out here in California, a lot of our Pool the light niches that that get used out here in California, and I know in a lot of other places in the uh, in the country, um, they've gone to a PVC niche, and uh, that doesn't meet with the NEC. So if you know you're going to be using a, a speaker, we need to go to the
0: stainless steel niche. Right. You have to go to the stainless steel. It used to used used to be you could use the PVC niche, but then they said nope, can't do it, and. The other thing that they're requiring now, and and we we make we get our own grills made. You actually have to put a grill on the speaker. So when so what we did is this is ten gauge stainless steel. So that goes onto the speaker front. So that's what you. This is what you see on your pool when it, when this this is all like this sticks out from the pool wall, and then you've got that. But everything else is inside there. So you, it's a very very low profile speaker, but it. In a, a residential pool, you could do a single speaker, but we tell people that when you're talking to your clients, typically your clients are they're, they're, they're more on the higher end of the scale. They're, these aren't for your 20 foot diameter above the ground pool in the backyard. Right. These are for your pools that are you know that are ideally concrete and insta- you know gunite and installation construction. And where you can put these niches in, and we found that uh, if you're, you know, these people have spent money on a stereo system, and you don't want to have to go and tell your client that, oh, you've got this nice stereo system, but you've got to run mono music, one-channel music. So the ideal way is that you propose to them two speakers, one per channel on your stereo. And then that way, what, what happens is it's why you have stereos to start with, Is when you're playing music, you might have the left channel doing a trumpet sound, and the other channel doing vocal. Well, if the speak if you have two speakers, that speaker is going to reproduce the trumpet sound better than trying to do the vocal and the trumpet sound at the same time, and Mm -hmm. vice versa. The vocal is going to be crisper and truer since it's not having to try to reproduce the trumpet sound at the same time. So you end up getting that little bit better sound quality that what most people are after is to and the one thing that that makes our speaker a little bit better in the music reproduction is is the the housing material is pvc so it's a dead material it doesn't ring down like you know the old expression is you know you got a bell and if you strike a bell how it rings sure strike it well with PVC, you don't get that. You you would get a thud, and that's it. You don't get the ring down. So that's why you get a little bit better sound characteristics out of the speaker. And we've had people that put the speakers in the water, and they can't believe what it sounds like. And we did a we did a job down in the, with one of the people, you know, Doug Johnson. With uh, he did a pool down in uh, Cisco, Texas. And it was with the guy that developed the fracking process. And he put four of our speakers in his pool. And this is one of the only few that I've ever gone and did an install on. Because I wanted to see this pool this guy was building. I mean, it was, the guy was putting a quarter of a million just in the tile in the pool. And he had a cross in the center. It was like at the Bellagio where it shoot water jets up. So today I want to go see this place. So I drove down and took the stuff with me and we put them in the the pool and I used to have it on my YouTube site where I shot, I was up on the roof of the house shooting video of the pool and you could actually, our speaker is the only one you can play in air and not break it. If you talk to any, any other people that do speakers and they'll tell you right up front, don't do that. Mine, I do it all the time. And so I was up on the roof shooting it and, they were working on the pool at the same time. So you could hear in the background our music, and then you could hear the guys cutting this towel and stuff with the saws. So it was very it was quite loud uh, for being running air. And we did a few uh, we did another job down in Miami where it was they had put a pool up on the top of a parking garage. It was on the ninth floor, and we put a sound system in there. Uh, complete sound system, amplifiers and the whole bit. And uh, it was for this big condominium, but that was pretty awesome. But the problem they had is where they wanted to put the niches in, they could not put a full niche in because there were were structural members in the way. So they actually had to cut the niche down, re-weld it and stuff. But with UL, and see the thing is with speakers, they don't really – they really don't have a UL listing because when you do UL, you have to specify everything that's going to be tested with that device. So like if you wanted to test a speaker, you would have to identify any amplifiers, mixers, uh, CD players, whatever's going to be used with it, and it all has to be tested as a complete package. And you can't use other people's test data like for for the amplifier. They have to retest the amplifier completely. So you're looking at a very substantial amount of money to get it. And when you think about it, a speaker is really is a passive device. It it doesn't do anything in the water. It's what it connects to is where the problem is. And that's why, if if anything, we tell people the main thing is to be sure you have your GFI, ground fault interrupt, that everything's plugged into. We have everything on an isolation transformer. And now, with the with the way the NEC code works, now that they've mandated that you have a metal niche and you have a grill on your speaker, what that essentially does is it puts your speaker in a what they call a Faraday cage. There's no way, because you ground your niche for a speaker just like you do for a pull-out. You have to have all your bonding wires and everything. So there's no way that any kind of electric voltage can get out of that, away from that speaker because it's all contained, it's behind the grill and in the niche. So all, any stray voltage goes right to ground or any voltage goes to ground. So in, in reality, it's, it, it's very, it makes it very safe that way. But my question has always been, okay, we used to could use the plastic niche and they say, Oh, well, you can't do it. Well, yeah. You go and look at look at how many people have been killed on pull pull pumps, pull lights, you know regular sure. lights, and other devices. Do you see them having them put the pump inside a stainless steel cage and stuff where you can't get to it, or any kind of con- uh, control devices? No, but yet a speaker they want that done to, and if you look at it historically, in the th- Forty years or so that speakers have been around. Have you ever seen anybody killed with a speaker? Nope. You've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of headlines where people have been electrocuted by pump motors, pool lights, things like that. And like with our speaker, the way I've got it designed, it's so structurally strong that you could actually take my speaker, put it out there in your driveway, lay it on it on the grill facing park your car on top of you're not going to, it's structurally that strong. So it's, it makes me, it really gets frustrating when you see them put all this requirement on the, on the um, having to have the stainless steel niche versus the PVC niche. When you still got all the same bonding that's on it, it's just, it's a plastic material, but then whoever wrote the, the NEC code for that, I, I'm not sure exactly. Oh, uh, where where they? I, mean, I I know what they're trying to do, but why aren't they doing that same concept on other electrical devices on a pool site?
1: Sure. So who uh, who
0: is your typical client?
1: Uh, do you generally sell direct to homeowners? Do you generally work with pool builders? Um, where where? what is your client and and if somebody wants to kind of specify this um can you give us some just general design parameters i mean you talked about uh you know two um two in in a pool uh just so you can do the the opposing channels uh, do you want one on the one side of the pool and another on the other side of the pool so that they're facing each other uh just give us some kind of general design well, terms
0: uh, yeah when, when you want to you know, put speakers in your pool, uh, like say for a small pool, but like you start getting into the larger pools, we recommend going, because the way it goes, you go from, you go from one to two, then two to four and then four to eight to get the same doubling effect. So we say, if you're going above just a small residential pool to go after four to like, we say six for like a 25 meter pool. And that's probably even a, more than's needed, but we feel you know you don't want to have them. it's. It's always easier to turn music down than turn it up. So we tell people you know to go after four, uh, and then the way we the way ours is designed, we tell people you 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 get two speakers and you have to have a transformer because these are piezo speakers, and then so the second, so when you go speaker three and four, you just have to buy the speaker because you can run them. Because you can run multiple speakers off of a transformer. Okay. That so way you get you end up four speakers, two transformers, and, and that that aspect of it. Uh, our clients in the swimming pool industry—it's uh, surprising. See, we, ours, my, most of my business is generated by the internet. From uh, I do I don't do any magazine advertising. I don't do any. Uh, mainly, it's my website, and it's it's people looking for underwater speakers and when you do a google search it doesn't bring up a lot of choices you'll find out that there's only three or four people that do speakers in the united states and maybe a half dozen in the world and there's and there's uh, you can find cheap speakers made in china but the old adage is you get what you pay for right you want something good ours is it's a u.s made product and we're very proud of that for doing it for 25 years so, uh, we've, we've, uh, as far as the clients that are finding us a lot of them. when I talk to them, they tell me their pool builder doesn't know it can even be done hmm, really? and they ask them and they'll, they don't know about it. So a lot of the pool builders come to, I mean, the, the homeowners come to us, find out because that's, they'll do the, the searches and then they'll come to us and say, okay, can I get them and get the speakers and they'll, then they'll have their pool guy, give them to the, uh, uh, the AV guy that's doing the sound system, and but what we would like to do is to really get closer with the pool builder because, see, it's very it's one of the problems we've had is is when you try to, you know, you have a dealer and then you got a, a, a retail price. The problem is, is is trying to come up with that happy meeting because a lot of times it's the red, the person owns the speaker that owns the home contacts us. And so you sort of, if you quote him a price, then if the guy, the builder, he, if he wants to sell it to him, that's where we're trying to rethink how we're doing things to try to, to get to where we're going to work with pool builders that want to, to market our product. Because if you think about it, it's got a, a whole new avenue of possibilities. So when, you're, yeah. when you're playing music in the water because there's so much being done on sound therapy and for relaxation and stuff like that. So we're wanting to actually, we got involved with the uh, Master Pool Builders Guild, and we're like their preferred supplier for underwater speakers. So that's why on our literature we'll say Master Pool Builders Guild, and we and actually we encourage them. And if if, because what happens is that they spec our speaker into the job, and they they sell it, then they tell Master Pool Builders Guild, and then they get there, they get a percentage back it being as being it's our uh, so it helps their organization to uh, sure. get some funding and but we don't really see we, we'd like to see more of them doing it like we, we had a check the other day where we sent to them and they sent it back because they they really what they weren't involved with it and it says, well we'd like to be able to write you guys a three thousand dollar check because of your clients your members putting our speakers into pools and stuff like that, because we were proud to, you know, be part of the Master Pool Builders Guild. And uh, because that's one of the big things, you know, it's just like the Genesis people that do the pool design. Well, that's what these Master Pool Builder Guild people are, the same kind of concept.
1: Sure. So
0: in an ideal world,
1: uh, you would prefer – to To get the word out to um, yeah. not only architects uh, but also to the pool building community, right. uh, and and you know, kind of circling this all the way back around to where we started a little bit, and and uh, the millennials. I mean, music is uh, you know, a, a joke. You know, we have a rule in our house. I have teenagers, and the rule in our house is when you're kind of interacting in family space, you have to have one earbud out and it's a constant fight uh, because they're so plugged in and they have the two earbuds in all the time and they're kind of in their own world. And, um, you know, and so music is just, uh, it's it's second nature to them yeah. and it's it, they want it everywhere. And so, you know, as they begin to uh, become part of the buying public and, and grow up, uh, You know, I I can only see this becoming uh, even more of a popular option. So to really just get people to start uh, get them exposed to the fact that, hey, underwater music is a real thing and, you know, there are no real limitations on it. You know, it's it's something that that can be offered and. You know, the the client can always say no, uh, but if you don't know about it and you don't offer it, you Mm -hmm. know, it's uh, are you doing a disservice to your client? So that's that's one of the things that I'm really excited about about this podcast is just to allow everybody to understand, hey, this technology does exist. Um, I can speak. We've done a number of your systems in our pools and you know, the, the clients just rave about it. it it's, it's, uh, uh, I'll be honest, the first time I, I heard about it, I thought, well, this is kind of a little bit strange. And then that client came back and said, you know, wow, this is, this is so amazing. And they love it so much. And, and, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a really cool technology. One of the things that I love about your system in particular is, yeah, the thing is bomb proof. I mean, it, it We've never had a failure. We've never even had any any issues with it. And I know in, in talking with you over the years, you've had very
0: few of these that you've ever had to warranty. Um, Ooh, well, it, it just the, the biggest the biggest thing that the the biggest problem that we've seen in the 25 years that we've been building has been the transformer. And what we're doing now is we actually fuse protect the whole transformer. And it was for that purpose of if somebody did connect the you know the Transformer to something that and they put too much power to it. instead of it burning out the transformer We wanted it to blow a fuse and we looked at a lot of different types of technologies for circuit protection And it turned out really the best one was just the old-fashioned fuse because a lot of times By the time these some of these other devices would work the damage was done And so now the, the and that was the main thing and probably in 25 years I've only had two speakers that were really gross failure. I mean, really have a problem with, and it was the same guy. And I'm not sure what he did, but he hooked up something wrong and actually melted the ceramic material that with the, that drives these things. But we've had people that will, uh, they'll flood and they'll actually r- work with water in them. They will wow. keep working. They keep truck plucking away. So, if you, but we tell people always, especially the drop in speakers, we tell people when you're using them and you take them out and shake them like you would a canteen. And if you hear water sloshing around inside, then we need to get, you know, if you drain it out and you can dry it, you can, it's it's repairable. It's a fixable situation. Now, if you wait, if you procrastinate, then you can have issues. But just to give you a perspective of how our speakers have endured, in 1996, NASA got a hold of us and they bought 16 speakers for the NBL in Houston. That's where they trained the astronauts. And when I was at the Dema show in Orlando this year, I met talked with a guy that works there and they're, they're still using those same speakers today. Wow, 25 it's, years later. 25 years later, they're still using the same speakers. And what was really cool is um, one of the, one time that they they actually sent some of them over to uh, the Star City, but uh, they, they the Russians, you know, when they were using them, they thought it was, it was something super classified because they said they'd never seen anything like it. Wow. And they did like it did, but they were, so we were involved not only in the U.S. space program, but the uh, Russian space program.
1: Yeah, well, I just want to say thank you so much for for spending some time with us here. I mean, uh, I always love talking to you and you and I have these chats uh, on cell phone and everything. And and so it's always just I'm always amazed. You always have a new story and a new fun thing and a new way that you've seen this integrated. And and so uh, I'm just super excited to be able to expose our listeners to this and and just really kind of open everybody's eyes and just say, hey, you know, uh, here's something to consider or it's another option you know yeah it's not for everybody uh but you know there are clients that would be really intrigued by this and the technology it's not voodoo science it is for real and um you know the the usa swimming has been at the olympics uh, the navy uses it uh, you know all of these different places have used it and so if it was voodoo science and and didn't really work you know, all of these entities wouldn't be continuing to be uh, clients here. So, um, thank you so much for for joining us today. And uh, and just real quick, um, give us your website. Uh, how can people uh, kind of connect with you and 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 find out more about your product?
0: Yeah, it's a very it's a very uh, easy website. It's it's our registered trademark, and it's Oceaneers, and it's O C E A N E A R S Oceanears, Oceaneers, all one word. dot com and I, I got that registered probably 20 years ago, and it turns out that in this day and age with search engines, all you have to do is type in "ocean ears" into Google, and it'll pull us up. It's, awesome! Uh, it's it's that the, there's we're the only people that really I registered the word itself, not a diagram or something. I actually registered the ocean ears because most people spell it with a double e as ocean ears. Like that's what an ocean an ocean engineer is an ocean ear. Right. But we took and, and uh, had it registered as EARS because it was it was pretty unique. And, I mean, that's even a story in itself how that came about.
1: So, yeah, yeah, well, we, we'll save that for the next podcast because yeah. uh, we're, we're needs, getting up against time here.
0: Yeah, if anybody needs any information, Oceaneers.com. Uh, we'd like to work with the pool builders. And if people are really interested, we'll work with them and protect them. They just tell us where they want the protection and let us know, and we'll work with them. If somebody calls us, we'll say, go to this facility, because we would like to get more pool builders specking this stuff into homes. And when you think about it, you could, if nothing else, use it as a, a lead to help maybe get that million-dollar pool. If you can say, hey, we can put speakers in your pool, and even if it's at cost, if it's to get you that million-dollar job, hey, it's worth it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a great way to differentiate yourself. So thank you so much, Ed. And uh, and we hope that really uh, everybody will explore this a little bit more and and just uh, just another option, just trying to broaden everybody's horizon. So uh, for, for the Ask the Masters podcast, this is Dave and Ed signing off for the day.
0: Okay, I appreciate it. Ask the Masters is dedicated to educating, mentoring, and designing a better workplace for the swimming pool industry and their families please take a moment to share like and review our content with all of those that would be interested